0: It's time for episode 383 of the Clockwise Podcast from Relay FM, recorded Wednesday, January 27, 2021. Clockwise, four people, four tech topics, 30 minutes. Welcome back to Clockwise, the podcast that covers more tech topics before breakfast than most podcasts cover all day. My name is Dan Morin, and I am joined across the internet by my good friend, my pal, my dungeon buddy, Mr. Micah Sargent. How are you doing today, Micah?
1: I'm doing well. And you know, this morning, I thought when Dan says the Dungeon Buddy part, I'm going to let everybody out there know who might not know that Dan and I do an actual play Dungeons and Dragons podcast uh, over on the incomparable network called Total Party Kill, the dog and pony show. So... Um, Dan, I'm going to challenge you to include a link in the show notes this time uh, to point everybody to that because it's a delightful experience and you should all uh, enjoy our Dungeon Buddy nonsense together over there. So... Thank you, Dan, for giving me that opportunity. Thank
0: you, Micah. It was delightful. It's delightful. Last night, we made some of our friends who had never eaten cotton candy before eat cotton candy. It was a treat. (laughs) It was a
1: treat for us. Not so much for them. Not so
0: much for them. You know what else is a treat? Having two fantastic guests on this show. To my left this week, it's an iOS developer of apps such as Pedometer++, Sleep++, and the phenomenal Widget Smith, and the co-host of Under the Radar right here on Relay FM. It's underscore David Smith. Welcome back, David.
1: Hello, delightful to have you. It's great to be here. And to my left, a prolific writer and a prolific podcaster, a co-host of the Material Podcast right here on Relay FM, as well as all about Android on the Twit Network, and a writer for Tom's Guide, Gizmodo, Lifehacker, and many other places. It is the Florence Ion. Welcome back to the show, Flo
2: wave 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 it's me waving <laughs> oh. i am waving by the way is this a life. video
0: podcast and we just forgot oh no <laughs>
2: <laughs> i'm dictating
0: <laughs> <sighs> all right i'm gonna kick things off today with a first topic Birdwatch. it's twitter's new attempt to crowdsource fact checking and uncover misinformation <coughs> Uh, what are what are we thinking here? Does this hit the spot? Is it not quite enough? Too little, too late? Uh, is there room for improvement or
3: promise there, David? What do you think? Sure, I think it's 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 a useful step. I don't think it is a by all means like a tremendous. Great thing. It's just, it's, it's, I'm glad to see that uh, Twitter is continuing to push on this, um, that it is an area that they consider to be sort of an unsolved problem, that they're continuing to try and find better solutions. And I think crowdsource fact checking is useful, probably more in terms of uh, breadth than it is in terms of actual, like, the really problematic content on Twitter, that it's like you're creating an opportunity to fact check a wider variety of topics because the things that are, p- You sort of overtly and obviously misinformation are probably easier to catch than things that are more subtle and specialized. And this is a way to sort of widen that out. And you'd hope that you end up in a situation like a Wikipedia or something where the group is sort of self-organizing and manages itself well enough that you sort of get somewhere and you get more signal than you do noise um, by opening it up to a wider audience.
1: I, this, this, is, this is a hard thing because I do like that there is more um, information or information. There's more attention being paid to a big problem on the entirety of social media in the first place. Um, I kind of wish there was something like this on Facebook um, that, you know, had had similar uh, functionality. Um, I think that this has the potential. To be a successful uh, tool, and I think that if it if it falls in line with uh, Twitter's program for translators that exist on Twitter, you'll see there's like a little globe icon next to them. So if it, if Twitter is working with folks uh, that are particularly chosen, that are specifically chosen to do this, that you know there's a little bit of a vetting process involved. I think that that would help versus a. Wikipedia approach, but I guess a more free Wikipedia approach that uh, just lets anybody leave comments and context. That, of course, I think is just going to lead to junk piling up. So I guess it's just going to depend on the amount of moderation, Um, moderating the moderation uh, that will make a difference. Uh, and, And hopefully through that, then we can we can see some improvement. But we'll see. What do you think, Flo?
2: I don't know, guys. This sounds to me like it's just a really easy way to cancel people. I don't know. I don't know. I don't like it. I don't like it. Uh, in all seriousness, it's something that I've been reading about, so I'm not like super privy to all the doings of Birdwatch just yet. I know it's kind of you know been talked about on Twitter lately. Uh, but one thing I'm learning is that apparently, if your account gets reported that... Um, You're not eligible for Birdwatch, which, if you're an account that constantly gets trolled by people who are trying to keep your truth from coming out, I can imagine that that would be kind of a barrier. So it sounds to me that, like, there are still a lot of kinks that need to be worked out about this. Um, And it's a little frustrating because it is 2021 and we've had years and years of reports about the disinformation that has been spreading throughout social media. And so it feels like something that should be. Ready by now. Mm-hmm. Um I'm I'm hoping this is, you know, I feel like we're gonna see a theme today. There's just a good step forward <laughs> is <laughs> is is always a good step, I suppose. Um, but there are still things in the terms of service that we kinda have to pay attention to and call out and say, Hey, we need you to go back to the drawing board and and tweak a couple of things. So um, I, I hope they're in the mood for tweaking.
0: <laughs> yeah, actually, I think that's a great way to put it, Flo. I mean, I, I from what I've read about the process, I think there is, I have a, a lot of conflicting thoughts about it. One, despite the fact that it is Twitter actually taking proactive action, it seems at the same time that it's a way to abrogate some of its responsibilities in moderating content. No, oh, you guys, the rest of you, why don't you you take care of this? We, we Not us, you guys. Um, and that, worries me a little bit because I think without proper supervision, it could descend into just sort of like the new battlefield for people arguing over whether or not things are factual, Um, depending again on, on, as Micah said, how they deal with moderation, how they deal with the people who are actually putting these comments in. I could easily see a scenario where there are just warring factions, kind of like, you know, your Wikipedia edit wars, where it's like people are arguing, this is fake. No, this is fake, right? And at that point, we haven't solved it. We've just created a new place to argue about what's true or not. Um, So how it's implemented, I think, is going to make a huge difference. And I think it's good that at least Twitter seems to be doing this sort of gradually rather than just dropping it in people's laps and being like, yeah, we solved this problem. Here you go. Um, But I I think there is value in the crowdsourcing approach, but I'd love to see it coupled with something that's a little more authoritative, whether it be, you know, commentary from Snopes or, you know, other other fact checking organizations that have that as their mandate. Um, Because as much as I like the idea of leveraging everybody who's around, we all know that that does lead to different problems. So uh, good that they're moving forward on this, a good step forward, as Flo said, but there's a long way to go, especially in uh, this year, 2021. Uh, Thanks for all your thoughts on that. Let's go to our second topic, which comes from
3: David. Sure. So uh, this week, Apple announced that their, their new time, time time for a Walk program, which is, is like these short audio companions to listen to while you're going for a walk. And I was just wondering, do people like listening to audio while exercising? And if so, like what type and by what mechanism do you actually listen to it? Uh, for me, I just like to listen to uh, music
1: whenever I'm working out. So usually that means having in some form of, of uh, Bluetooth and sweat proof uh, headset. And listening to I mean honestly any number of songs I don't necessarily need to have because uh, there are some programs that will like amp up the music as you go along or it will hit you with your your song that like pushes you forward when you need it and for me I, I don't need all of that I kind of am just looking for something to provide a distraction uh, while I'm going through the the motions but I want to speak specifically about this because I think that there's something spot on, the fact that in this uh, Time to Walk uh, new feature, the people who are talking to you while you're taking a walk are also walking And, uh, there's this concept of body doubling, uh, that's really well known in the ADHD community. And I think it applies to any folks, not just folks with ADHD, that there's something about having someone doing workouts along with you that is very helpful. And I think that's why there's a success in Peloton and in, uh, spin classes and things like that, uh, to have that person kind of working along with you as you're going, uh, Flo, what are your thoughts?
2: I will say that my favorite thing to do throughout the week is to go with my daughter. I take her out in her little stroller and I have one earbud in and one ear and I'm usually listening to a podcast. That kind of helps me cuz I it is it I'm kind of bored of the same suburban landscape. I haven't really ventured too far out <laughs> uh out of safety. And so it's it's nice to be able to have audio in one ear where I'm just kind of laughing and chuckling to myself and then I have my my open ears so that I can, you know, I can hear cars, I can hear dogs, or I can hear my little baby babbling about whatever she's looking at.
0: So. <laughs> oh, man, I just want a time to walk exercise with Flo's baby now. That just sounds like a lot of fun. It's <laughs> very calming. Yeah. Uh, it um, fun. <laughs> I, you know, I, lo- I love this idea. I think this idea is extremely clever for Apple. It's a great leveraging of all these things. As someone who does take walks pretty frequently because, you know, in in the world that we're living in right now, it's basically the only way to escape my house. Um, I do like listening to audio, but I tend not to listen to spoken audio. I tend to listen to music when I'm walking around the neighborhood. And part of that is because... Walking is one of the few times where I can sort of clear my head and I get a chance to have that sort of, you know, creative moments of like my head is empty. I'm just walking around sort of doing that sort of autonomous putting one, one foot in front of the other like Michael was saying. And it just gives me an opportunity for like new ideas to come to my head and just sort of, you know, empty my mind a bit. Uh, and so I struggle with that a little bit when it's like I want to pay attention to something at the same time. Um, I feel like it doesn't give me quite the same um, experience. Of what i'm trying to get out of a walk so it's not for me but i i think it's absolutely a great idea it's very clever and i can see why it would appeal to a lot of people so yeah i I tend to listen with my airpods pro while i'm walking around the neighborhood although I, i agree with Flo that i've seen the same landscapes uh hundreds of times now it does get a little more rote so maybe i need something to jog me out of that uh dave why don't you wrap us wrap us up here
3: Sure. I and mean, I think so when, I, when I'm exercising, I feel like there's these two different modes. That's always interesting. There's the version where I want the what I'm listening to to distract me from what I'm doing. Like I'm doing something long and boring, like if I'm going out for a particularly long run or something like that. And then I'll listen to a podcast or an audio book or something that like takes my mind away. And it's almost like trying to be as as the. As unpresent as I can be, and I'll do something like that. Or if, if I'm doing something where I want to be in what I'm doing and focus on the exercise that I'm doing, it's, usually, it's typically something shorter, then it's usually music. Something like cheesy pop is usually what I'm listening to, and it's almost always now with an AirPod Pro uh, in my ear. All right. Hard as it is
0: to believe, that's two topics down, which means it is, yes, halftime here on Clockwise. In this week's episode is brought to you by The Inside Track from Microsoft. As we were just discussing audio, listening to audio while you're out doing things. Well, you know, it's fun to find new podcasts to listen to. You can challenge your old ideas. You can learn new stuff. You can be entertained. You can be distracted from your landscape. So many good options with new podcasts. If you're looking for a new show to listen to, try The Inside Track with host and resident car guy, Carrie LaBelle. The show interviews with industry experts, insiders, and analysts covering long-term trends, evolving expectations of consumers, and the effects of technology advancements on industry strategies. Each show covers a bunch of segments like AI and BI use in automotive manufacturing, connected vehicles, cloud simulations, intelligent infrastructure, and guests include people from Audi, Toyota, Anata, Ansys, SBD Automotive, and more. Uh, I actually checked out the episode that talked with one of the executives from Audi. It was really interesting because it talked about the virtues of the connected car and all the sort of clever things you can do with technology integrated into your automotive systems. Like uh, it takes data from like command centers that control traffic lights and gets more information about them. that can pipe to the driver, letting you know if like, oh, that light's going to turn red, maybe slow down. Very interesting conversation. So, uh, go and listen to it now. Just search for the Inside Track wherever you get your podcasts or click the link in the show notes. Our thanks to the Inside Track and Microsoft for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. All right. Halftime has concluded, and Micah Sargent takes the field.
1: Hello, oh, oh, oh. Uh, My question for you is just, why don't you go ahead and air out some of your frustration? Can you tell me a tech pet peeve or annoyance of yours? Flo, we'll start with you.
2: Okay, so I was thinking about this. There's going to be a slight shift in energy, but I'm going to try and bring it back. So I just want to, you know, if anybody needs to, like, quickly scan 15 seconds um (laughs) so last week my mom's house got burglarized oh no no yeah i'm sorry uh i'm sorry for the energy but i'm gonna bring it back around okay so it was devastating awful we're still dealing with it um but the thing that frustrated me throughout the experience was that if she had known how to use her security system She has one of these fancy DIY security systems installed by Xfinity. She has Arlo cameras. So she has like top of the line stuff in her house, but she had no idea how to use the app. She had no idea how it was going to notify her in, you know, if the alarm or something was in progress. These are things that she was not onboarded to. They had no problem selling her On the entire kit and installing all of this stuff in her house and like putting it on her bill, charging her and saying, lady, you're going to feel super safe with this stuff in your house. But they had but they didn't teach her anything. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, I cover DIY security for Tom's Guide and I have been for a couple of years. And I I realized throughout this experience, in addition to a bunch of other stuff, um, at least where it counts for me, that I am not looking at this stuff like i think i should be for the common person i still think that i am but i'm realizing that there are holes in my coverage because i am so knowledgeable and so i i've been through the evolution of these technologies so i under like for me it is built into me how to go into an app and what to look for and Mm -hmm. how to tap around my mother does not have that inclination I don't know that her knowing exactly how to navigate around her phone would have stopped any of this from happening, but at least it would have maybe had the police over while they were in progress of doing it or something. Mm. So my frustration is just these things are built with the guise of user friendliness, but we're the ones looking at it. So maybe for us, it's friendly. But how do I look at this stuff to kind of know in this situation that it's not uh it's not registering with certain users um so i guess my frustration is a little meta in the sense of i'm trying to figure out how to cover this stuff better for the every person but i also wish that tech companies just like hire a regular person consultant (laughs) i don't know (laughs) yeah exactly bring somebody in to tell you i don't know i i I don't know what's going on here this that no um yeah (laughs)
0: <laughs> that's, that's a great point. I, I actually got a text from one of my cousins the other day saying that he had a terrible experience transferring his phone to a new phone. And he's like, everything went wrong. And I can't imagine what would happen if like my, you know, in-laws, my parents-in-law were like trying to do this. They know even less than I do. And I know a decent amount. And I'm like, yeah, it, it's tough. I think a lot of this stuff is opaque. Um, I, I actually think, you know, uh, for me, it kind of dovetails into that, which is, you know, opacity of of technology these days. There's a lot of cases where you try to do something and it doesn't work and you don't know why. And even people like us who are fairly technologically savvy, you're sitting there going like, this should work. You know, a lot of these cases, there's not good error documentation. There's not really good ways of reporting things that have gone wrong. Um And systems are so much, you know, just black boxes. I mean, I think of this often when I use Siri, which is what I was originally thinking of complaining about before flow sort of struck my attention there. Um, Oftentimes things, you know, you ask Siri to do something and you don't know why it, it, it heard what it heard. And this it applies to all voice assistant stuff. Like, it, it takes some bizarre response and starts, like, playing a song. And instead, when you asked it to add something to your grocery list, and you're like, what? why? <laughs> what is going on? And I wish in a lot of these cases they realized, look. I understand you're making these things uh, sort of hermetically sealed to make it seem very friendly, but kind of what Flo is just saying, it has the opposite effect where now when anything goes wrong, you can't figure out why. You can't figure out who to tell about it. Like You just have to hope that in some update down the road, the company fixes it and you'll never know what went wrong. So I uh, technological opacity is something I think that really
3: bugs me. Sure. I think my, my like pet peeve situation right now is this special case of what you were just talking about more generally. And I think it's the number of times in my life where I'm dealing with like, it still, I'm amazed in 2021, I'm still dealing with like Bluetooth connectivity, <laughs> uh, between devices and specifically with, uh, Apple fitness plus and, uh, AirPods and, sort of connecting to my phone. And it's like those two things, the number of times I go to start a workout in fitness plus, and it says like, can't find your Apple watch. Mm. It's like, okay. Like, and there's no, there's nothing for me to do. There's no like Mm -hmm. process. All I can do is like restart everything Mm -hmm. and try again. Cause there's no, to your point, there's no like indication as to what is actually the problem. It's like, is it can't, can't find my watch. Is it on the watch side, the, the, my iPad side, like who knows, or I'm trying to connect my AirPods to my iPhone and they just like won't connect. Or it says they're connected, but the audio won't play. And there's no um, sort of, there's nothing I can do except for these very, would feel very just like blunt force solutions of like, turn everything off, turn it back on. Like that's been the solution forever. And it seems like having a better, it's like Bluetooth is trying to do too much magic. And then that magic ends up like shooting it in the foot with a Mm. wand, I guess. I don't know.
1: (laughs) It sounds to me like we all are kind of falling into this, uh, this same complaint. Category, uh, because my very specific one is I used to use uh, AirDrop all the time on my Mac. Um, I would I have to take screenshots on my phone and send them to my Mac um, pretty regularly, and it used to work flawlessly. And there were people out there who would say I never use AirDrop because it never works for me. And I was very thankful that I that I was not one of them. Then I upgraded to a, a new MacBook Pro, and since that point airdrop gives me trouble and i did uh, you just talked about you know blunt solutions i went as far as to completely reinstall mac os uh and that solved it for a couple of days and then it stopped working again and the only thing these days that works is for me to uh kill sharing d the process uh, about three times and then it will start working for a short period of time and then it stops working again and it causes my macbook pros fans to spin up uh uh, sharing D runs at like a percent capacity it's it's it makes and I don't know what to do about it there's no solution that makes it a permanent solution I don't know how to fix it and being someone who is technology minded it is frustrating whenever you can't fix the thing so yeah I think uh, we've kind of come to, to come to a, a general consensus that the problem seems to be that uh, it's all black boxed and it's it's hard to uh, to use and that we can't be more aware of of how this technology is is working. Um, Thank you all for your answers. I hope that there was a little bit of uh, catharsis there. Um, But let us move on to our last topic, which comes from Flow.
2: All right. So this one is a little more just about tech industry. But... um but I want to bring it to the table. So in early January, a few hundred Google employees had announced that they were forming the Alphabet Workers Union, the AWU, which is part of the Larger Communication Workers of America, the CWA union. Now, this isn't super surprising if you've been following Google News because employees, they've been organizing major walkouts the last three years in opposition to a lot of Google's business decisions. We're talking about things like uh, Sealing contracts with drone makers, paying off $90 million to former employees after allegations of sexual harassment, and designing a censored search engine for China. Yes, these are things that have upset uh, folks. And most recently, if you listen to Material Podcast, uh, you know Google's firing of AI ethicist Timnit Gebru is the most recent upset. So, this union is a minority union. Uh, so it doesn't go through the National Labor Relations Board, the NLRB, but it does uh, help put the emphasis on employee organizing. So they're not going to worry so much about negotiations yet. That might come later. But for right now, this is just to really instill a culture of activism at Google. So I'm wondering, you know, I'm not completely raising the roof for this yet, but it does instill in me a little bit of optimism about what we might see from Silicon Valley and the tech industry at large in the next couple Uh, maybe in the next decade. I'm wondering from you guys, how do you feel about this? Do you have any sort of optimism? um, Or, you know, do you think this is something that may fizzle out uh, in Silicon Valley?
0: It's a great question. I mean, uh, so I tend to be fairly bullish on unions. I was a member of a union in one of my previous lines of work. My parents were both presidents of their respective union at various times. They met in the union. I mean, lots of union history it's, it's tricky. I think absolutely employees should have the ability to voice their opinions, potentially shifting policy at their companies. There's not much of a lever otherwise, right? The, the, the power is disproportionately in the hands of the people running these companies. If you want to quit in protest, great. It's probably not going to make much of a ripple. If a thousand people walk out, that might be a bigger deal there. So I, I absolutely feel like I would like to see more employee organization Uh, In Silicon Valley, uh, especially because the organization, the the companies there are so large and wield all of this power, not just in the tech industry, but as we're seeing now in society at large, um, that it is it is valuable to have the perspective of the sort of rank and file employees in addition to the executives who we hear from, you know, testifying on Capitol Hill or what have you. So uh, I'm I'm very uh, hopeful about that, as Flo says. I think right now my biggest worry is that it seems as though this union is is very small. I think at last count there was only a few hundred people in it, and we're talking about Google, which has tens of thousands. Five 500. 500. 500 out of
2: like three thirty thousand. Yeah, so, worldwide, right?
0: So it's it's a small small percentage. Uh, I'm hopeful that will grow. Um, I'm curious to see how it plays out, and I would like to see that expand to uh, to other companies in the
3: industry because. Because I think it's, it's a positive step. Yeah, and I think, I think unionizing or these kind of collective organizations, I think the main thing that I, I like about it in, in technology is it's a way to sort of amplify and magnify uh, sort of accountability within an organization that the people who know the most about what a tech company is doing have a means to sort of speak their opinion to desire if they desire change about a policy that the, com- the company is doing they have a means to do that that you know like by being collective then it, that's just like it just amplifies that in a way that it's just any one person having an opinion isn't going to do it and i think it's sort of is a way to allow for change within an organization or to advocate for change within an organization that, um, otherwise that d- doesn't involve just the sense of like, well, you can like not work for Google or you can work for Google. Um, it's like, it's the sense of you can be within there and still be making positive changes. Um, and it's, it's, and especially being in a position where you're able to affect that change. Uh, more directly. So I think it's an encouraging sign, and I think it's something that, um, especially, you know, because these these unions exist, seems largely for accountability reasons rather than for, like, you know, sort of workers' rights necessarily, or those kinds of things that are sort of the historical version of unions. Like, I like the sense of these unions that are existing to promote sort of justice and goodness in the world um, beyond even just sort of workplace problems, which is kind of nice as well. Uh, I think
1: a lot about um, fiction that's set sort of in the future, and it's usually sort of a dystopia, and there, a lot of times, you know, there'll be references made to uh, the way that the world was right before things changed. And in more comedy-based or dark comedy-based shows, it's usually that it's like, Disney, Apple, Google was running the the world and, uh, you know, there was a, some, some huge tech company that was running the world. And I think, too, about how not too long ago, uh, Domino's Pizza was... Patching holes in one, like you could, you could have Domino's Pizza pay to fix the roads in your country, or, or in your country, in your county, uh, or something along those lines. And so, when I think about all these strange situations where these companies are uh, have some level of power and uh, have some level of municipal or or government power. Yeah, I absolutely think that it's incredibly important for people within the company, as you've pointed out, uh, David, to be able to shape things and to affect change within the organization. Because especially in a place like Facebook, where we've seen them do some stuff that's not great, and many of us can only see what's happening from the outside and don't know what's happening internally. So people working from the inside to shape things in a way that is independent of the leadership, and in some ways, independent of the money that's involved there, I think is a very good thing. Flo, why don't you round us out?
2: I'm so glad that we could have a discussion about this. I just, it's it's nice to be able to hear from other folks how they feel about it, and I do... You know, I, I personally have never been a part of a union, but just based on what I've seen anecdotally from people in my life and, and throughout history, I, I, I would love to see some sort of automakers union in the tech industry, especially because it is such a big, I, I mean, it's what runs our World commerce at this point. Um, maybe I'm giving it a little too much credit, but at least that's what it feels like for me being here in the middle of it all in Silicon Valley. So it'll be interesting to see how this plays out in the next couple of years.
0: Indeed. All right. That's four topics down. We have just enough time for a quick bonus topic this week. So let me ask you coffee, tea, neither, something else,
1: David? A coffee in the morning, tea at night. Uh, coffee in the morning. Uh, what a fright. (laughs) Hello?
2: Coffee in the morning and then I microwave it around like one o'clock where I put it back on the hot plate and then I add a little bit of milk and then I drink the rest of that to stay up for the rest of the evening.
0: Nice. Tea in the morning for me and I've switched to sort of herbal and caffeine-free teas in the afternoon. All right, that's it. That's all the time we have for this week. All that remains is for us to thank our fantastic guest, David Smith. Thank you so much for being here.
1: Pleasure to be here. And Florence Ion, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Having
0: me. And, Michael, will be back next week, but until then, we remind everybody listening out there, watch what you say.
1: And keep watching the clock.
0: Bye, everybody.